God bless you, my beloved. This is Minister S. N. Crockett Jr. with Jesus Christ, our Lord, Christian Fellowship, coming to you with the first of our weekly installments, the truth of the gospel, the truth, the truth of the gospel. We're going to come to you tonight. We're going to start a series in what is probably a neglected book of the Bible. I don't know why it's so, it's so rich in uh uh, material about our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. We're going to talk tonight and for the next few sessions from 1 John. 1 John. Ooh, 1 John. 1 John. Walking with Jesus, our Lord, through 1 John. Walking with Jesus, our Lord, through 1 John. So we're going to go through 1 John tonight and then Sunday we'll continue in 1 John. Uh, we're going to go through chapter 1. I don't know if we'll finish tonight. I don't know if we're finished tonight. I got my grandson here. He's kind of knocking my stuff around here. Let's see here. If we can get that straightened out. Let's see here. All right. Okay, let's see. All right, I think we're back in business here. Let's see. All right, I need you to not knock stuff around because it knocks my camera out. So you just, you just knocked my camera out of focus again. All right, okay. I think I'm back in focus. Okay, here we are. We're going to go through 1 John. We're going to start tonight and um, probably won't finish the first chapter tonight. Uh, but we'll finish it when we finish it. Uh, very rich in material. Some of the best books in the Bible are probably some of the least read. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know why that is. John, First John, Revelation, uh, Daniel, Romans, Jude, Hebrews. Some of the best, and I hate to, I hate to say one book of the Bible is better than another, but some of the most theologically, doctrinally, practically exciting books of the Bible are sorely neglected, but. There's nothing I can do about that except I can only be faithful to the Lord in what I'm doing. Walking with Jesus, our Lord, through 1 John. Uh, this, this book was written by the Apostle John. John wrote five New Testament books, 1st, 2nd, 3rd John. He wrote the gospel according to John. John, the fourth gospel, that's four books. And then he wrote the magnificent book of revelation the apocalypse so he wrote uh the gospel that bears his name the fourth the, the fourth gospel after matthew mark and luke he wrote first john second john third john and then he wrote the revelation the old king james bible say the revelation of saint john the divine but that's inaccurate it's actually the revelation of jesus christ given to john John was on the Isle of Patmos for the word of God, the testimony of Jesus Christ. So we're going to uh, start going through 1 John tonight. We're going to walk with Jesus, our Lord, through 1 John. I've studied it a little bit. I haven't had time to study it as much as I want to and need to, but I'll try to catch up as I can. I will say this, that there's, if you read 1 John and read St. John, they're almost um, twin books. They're written by the same author, one of the similarities, two of the similarities of the book would be that the emphasis is on who Jesus is, the divinity of Jesus, the deity of Jesus, 
but also the man, Christ Jesus. Jesus is the God-man. Paul said there's one God and one mediator between God and men, the man, Christ Jesus. He said that in Timothy, 1 Timothy, I want to say uh, 2 and 5. And so Jesus is presented as totally God and totally man, not half God, not half man, not all God, no man, not all man, no God. He's the God man. He's the son of God. He's the son of man. They're both titles of deity, but Jesus is totally man and totally God. And uh, um, so we see both of those in St. John and John's gospel starts off in the beginning was the word the word was with God. The word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. That's that's the beginning of St. John's gospel. But if you look at first John, it says what was from the beginning. Did you hear that? It's almost identical. What was from the beginning, what we have heard, what we have seen with our eyes, what we have looked at and touched with our hands concerning the word of life. And the life was manifested and we have seen and testified and proclaim unto you uh, the eternal life which was with the Father and was manifested to us. So if you look at St. John, the beginning in chapter 1, and then you look at 1 John, the beginning of chapter 1, they're almost identical. There were false teachings going around then, and even now, saying that God could not become flesh uh, for certain reasons. You had several heresies, false teachings that were rising up in that day that exist even today. One of them was Gnosticism. Gnosticism is uh, where we get the word knowledge. It's where we get the word actually science. And this is not an anti-science argument. But the Gnostics felt they had a superior knowledge and that you could only be saved by going through certain mystical rites and rituals, and that they were the only ones who could um, who 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 could um, um, allow you into their mystical experience. Well, we know that's not true. The Bible says that all who come to God by faith in Jesus Christ um, are accepted to, are, are accepted in God's sight. Come to God by faith in Jesus Christ. Confess that Jesus is Lord. Believe that God has raised him from the dead. And the Bible says in Romans 10 and 9 um, that you'll be saved. Um, uh, 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 another common motif, if you will, in John and in 1 John is the motif of light and darkness. Light and darkness. Light and darkness. Light and darkness. John makes that point when he's talking about Jesus in St. John. And he also makes that point when he's talking about Jesus in 1 John. Jesus says, I'm the light of the world. If you follow after me, you will not walk in darkness, but you will have a light of life. Walk in the light while you have the light with you, etc. And then in 1 John, uh, Paul says, not Paul, but John says, if anybody says that he, he knows God but hates his brother, He's in darkness even until now. And my, and my grandson, my grandson keeps knocking my equipment down. And um, I'm, I'm, uh, I'm, uh, you can't keep knocking my stuff over because I'm recording. You, you can't, you can't knock it over. Okay. All right. Thank you, babe. So John says, um, John keeps saying, um, he, he keeps, he keeps, he, he keeps talking about light and darkness, light and darkness. Uh, and and one point I want to make while I'm talking about that is the Bible is a book of absolutes. Not everything in the Bible is absolute, but the Bible is a book of absolutes. If you read First John, First John is he's absolute. He says you're he says you're with the Lord, or you're not with the Lord. 
Who is a who is a liar? This is in First John. Who is a liar? But he who denies that Jesus is the Christ, because there were teachings going around at that time, and that exists even today. There were teachings going around saying that um, that that Jesus was not the divine Son of God. There were other teaching teachings going around saying that Jesus didn't become God until John's baptism. That teaching is present today. There there's a popular. Uh, preacher, a prosperity preacher, uh, I heard him preaching that a couple of years ago, that Jesus didn't become God until the Holy Spirit descended on him at, at, at John's baptism at the River Jordan. And then, then um, right before he died on the cross, the Holy Spirit left him. It's called Serentianism. And it's a satanic lie. Jesus is always, Jesus never stopped being God. Jesus was God when he was in Mary's womb. Jesus was God when he's in Mary's womb. Uh, um, um, I heard a, a, a pastor that I interviewed, he, he made the point the other day. One proof of that was when, 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 when uh, the pregnant Mary met uh, her cousin Elizabeth, and they were both pregnant, and Elizabeth was pregnant with John the Baptist. John Luke leaped in the womb. <laughs> He he was John leaped in the womb. He was filled with the Holy Ghost as a, as a confirmation of who Jesus was in Mary's womb. Then when Jesus was born, the Bible said, "Let all the angels of God worship him." Now, why would the angels of God wor have worshipped him? Angels weren't crazy. <laughs> why would the angels of God have worshipped him if he wasn't God? Why would the angels of God have worshipped him? Why would the Magi? even though they were pagan astrologers and astronomers, but yet they got a revelation from God and they followed the star and, and they came to see Jesus when he was about two years old. And the Bible says they fell down and worshiped him. And here's Jesus about two years old. So he's a preschooler in today's language. And the Bible says they fell down and worshiped him. This is in the book of Matthew. This is a Jewish leaning um, Bible, uh, not Bible, but, but book of the Bible. And we know that God doesn't uh, um, keenly tolerate the worship of idols and the worship of men, etc. Um, so why would the why would the magi, the wise men, we call them? We don't know how many there were, but the Bible says they presented to Jesus gifts of gold, frankincense, and myrrh. But they fell down and worshipped him. And these were pagan astrologers, astronomers, probably from either Mesopotamia or Babylon. And they, they said, we've seen his star in the east, and we have come to worship him. Now, why would they come to worship him? Uh, unless there was deity there. And they, they presented to him gold. And gold in the Bible symbolizes deity. Uh, um, and kingship, but that, uh, Solomon in the Old Testament would be a type of Christ. Solomon was so wealthy that he had gold. And uh, he had uh, just gold, gold, gold everywhere. He had silver, but his mind was up more on the gold than on the silver. So they presented to Jesus gold uh, as a sign of his deity, uh, as a sign that he's a king, even though he's a little two-year-old boy. They presented to him frankincense, which was a, a sign of, of the fact that he's worthy to be worshipped, uh, incense. Um, it, it was a sign of, of, of the fragrance, the sweet fragrance of his life that he would live before the father. As the father would say several times, oh, this is my beloved son in whom I am well pleased. Hear ye him. And then they presented to him myrrh. The word myrrh means 
suffering uh, as a sign of, as a prophecy of the way he would suffer on the cross for our sins. So Jesus is Lord. He didn't, he never stopped being Lord. When the, uh, the Bible says the word became flesh and dwelt among us. The word became, here I'm in St. John, but I'm going to be kind of shifting back from St. John to 1st John. The word became flesh and dwelt among us. And we beheld his glory, the glory is as of the only begotten of the Father, full of grace of truth, full of grace and truth. And so the same man, under the same anointing of the same Holy Spirit, wrote First John, who, wrote, who also wrote St. John, who also wrote Revelation, who also wrote Second John, who also wrote Third John. The book was written in around... Um, I've seen estimates between 80 and 98 AD. The 90 to 98 AD is probably more accurate. He supposedly wrote Revelation around 95 AD. John lived to be about 100, and uh, he wrote Revelation around 95 AD during the rule of Emperor um, uh, Domitian. A Roman, he, Domitian was the Roman emperor who had banished John to the Isle of Patmos. But before and after going to Patmos, John was um, known to be in Ephesus. He was a superintendent of churches in Ephesus. And uh, so John writes the, the, um, the gospel and he writes um, the revelation. And he writes the first epistle of John and possibly the second and third epistles of John. Sometime between around 90 and 98, I've seen one date as late as 100 uh, AD. But I haven't seen any date, any date later than that. But here's our here's our outline. Um, number one, John says that Jesus, our Lord is, and Savior, is eternal. We serve an eternal God. We serve one who has never not existed. We serve one who is eternal. That which was from the beginning. That's why Jesus called himself the Alpha. He said, I am the Alpha and the Omega, which are the first and last letters of the Greek alphabet. I am the Alpha and I am the Omega. I am the beginning. I am the end. That's deity right there because he's quote he's really quoting Isaiah 44 and 6. If you look at Isaiah 44 and 6, in Isaiah 44 and 6, the Lord said, I am the be I am the first and the last. Besides me and before me, there 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 were no others. So when Jesus says in Revelation, I am the Alpha, he says it several times. I am the Alpha and the Omega. I am the beginning and the end. He's saying, I'm God, because he said also in, in that same Revelation passage, uh, Revelation 1 and 8, I am the Almighty. Now, why would Jesus say I'm the Almighty if he were less than God? There are those who say Jesus never claimed to be God. That is a satanic lie. He did claim to be God. He said before Abraham was, I am. Glory to the Lamb of God. And when he said, Abra and when he said before Abraham was, I am, He's really making an allusion back to Exodus. Remember when Moses said to the Lord, who should I say sent me? You know, when I'm going to the children of Israel, who should I say sent me? And the Lord said, tell them I am, have sent you. And Jesus says in John, because the Jews, Jesus' critics said, you're not even 50 years old yet. How have you seen Abraham? Abraham is dead. The prophets are dead. Who do you make yourself to be? You're not even 50 years old yet. Uh, have you seen Abraham? Glory to God. Jesus said, before Abraham was, I am. 
glory to the Lamb of God. All right. So Jesus, our Lord and Savior, he's eternal. We serve, if we serve the Lord, we serve an eternal God. We serve one who has no beginning. He has no beginning. So when John says in the beginning, that's a reference really for man. There is no beginning with God. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. In the beginning was the word and the word was with God and the word was God. That which was from the beginning. That, that's a statement of eternity for the finite mind to understand. But God has no, he has no, um, God has no beginning. Things such as earth and the universe, they have a beginning because God created those things. But God has no beginning because he's because because um, he's eternal. Even when Micah, when Micah prophesied that, that the Lord would be born in Bethlehem, he said, whose goings forth have been from everlasting. Even from it's in Micah five and two, his, his goings forth have been from. But thou Bethlehem, Judah, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, out of you shall come one who shall rule his people whose goings forth have are, are from old, even from everlasting. You see that? He's, he's, he's saying that the Christ is eternal. We serve those of us who serve him. We serve an eternal Christ. He says that which is from the beginning. John says, and he's going to make a point here. I want you to notice what he's saying here. He's going to, he's going to be specific about this. And there's a reason, and I'm going to take you back to St. John uh, periodically. I'm going, to, I'm going to toggle between St. John and 1 John because... A lot of what's said in those two books, uh, they, they kind of um, dovetail into each other. He says, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, which we have seen with our eyes, because the false teachings were saying that Jesus was a phantom, that there was no reality concerning, uh, concerning Jesus Christ. John said, we've seen him, watch this, which we have looked upon. And our hands have handled, we physically handled this man. After he rose from the dead, they were grabbing him by his feet. They saw the nail scars in his feet. And the Bible says they worshiped him. Thomas said, I'm not going to believe that he rose from the dead unless I can see some physical evidence of it. About a week later, Jesus showed up, didn't even knock at the door, just came in the room where, where the disciples and, and, and Thomas were. And, and Jesus said, come here, Tom. <laughs> Come here, Thomas. Take your hand and put it in my side. Glory to the Lamb of God. And take your hand and put it in put it into my my into the scar. And don't, Thomas, don't be faithless, faithless, but believe. And Thomas said, "My I'm, I'm my Lord and my God." And then Jesus said, "Thomas, because you've seen, you believed." But blessed are those who have not seen. That would be you and that would be me. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. But, but John is saying this. If you, if you listen carefully uh, to what he says here, he says our hands have handled. We've, we've handled this man. The word became flesh, the incarnation. See, there were false teachings that were denying the incarnation. There were false teachings denying that God became flesh. In the person of his son, Jesus Christ, our hands have handled concerning the word of life. Remember when Jesus rose from the dead and he and uh, there was a time when um, uh, his disciples saw somebody cooking some fish. 
It was Jesus. He was cooking some fish and he broiled, he, he, he cooked some fish and he ate with them. He wanted them to see him physically doing things after his resurrection. He knew there would be false teachings. See, Jesus knows all the false teachings that are going to come, that are going to come. He knew there would be false teachings that denied who he is, his incarnation, that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Uh, the, the Philippians passage was called the kenosis of Christ, where Paul says that Jesus being in the form of God, thought it not robbery to be equal with God, but made himself of no reputation, took upon himself the form of a servant, a doulos, a servant, a slave, and was made in the likeness of men. And then being found in fashion as a man, he humbled himself. He made himself a little lower than the angels, the Bible says in Hebrews, for the suffering of death. Right? He, he was obedient unto death, the Bible says, even the death of the cross. So all of these scriptures dovetail um, and, and show that God became flesh. Jesus became a man. Jesus became a, a, a fully a man, with one exception. There was no sin in him. He was not born into sin. He was born by the power of the Holy Spirit overshadowing the Virgin Mary. He was born by the power of the Holy Spirit. The angel had even said to Mary, to Joseph, that the Holy Spirit, because Joseph was wondering why was Mary pregnant. And the, and the, uh, and the, and the angel explained and said, because uh, she's carrying the Christ child. I'm paraphrasing here. She's carrying the Christ child. Uh, the, the power of the, of the highest will overshadow her or has overshadowed her, and she shall bear a child. Oh, you're going to name him Jesus. In other words, you're not going to name him what you want to name him. You're not going to name him Joseph and all that. You're going to name him Jesus, for he shall save his people from their sins. And so this is the incarnation. But here, John is dealing with a heresy, a false teaching that had crept up in the church. And so Paul, and I keep saying Paul, John says, uh, we declare to you that eternal life, which was with the Father and was manifested to us. You hear that? that eternal life that was with the Father and was manifested to us. That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you. That which we have seen and heard, notice John is emphasizing the physical senses here. That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you, watch this, that you may also have fellowship with us. So John says there's no mysticism here. There's no secret Christian, you know, Gnostic organization here where you have to know certain rites and rituals and handshakes and all that too. No, we're telling you this because we want you to fellowship with us. We want to have a love fellowship. We want a fellowship in love. We want you to be with us. But in order to be with us, John is going to make the point, you're going to have to come through Jesus Christ, the physical Jesus Christ, the one who, um, the, the, the logos, the word that became flesh and dwelt among us. Yes, we want you to have fellowship with us, but it has to be on God's terms. You can't have fellowship with God on your own terms, right? Jesus, our Lord and Savior, is totally God. He's totally man. So he says, uh, that which we have seen and heard, we declare to you uh, that you also may have fellowship with us. Watch this. And truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. John says, truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. And these things we write to you, he says, that your joy may be full. Because we can only have fullness of joy in Jesus Christ. 
He says, we write these things to you that you may draw water out of the wells of salvation. And you can only do that through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Then he says, this is the message which we have heard from him. He hearkens back again to when Jesus, the word became flesh. And here's the message we have heard from him and we declare to you. That now here he's gonna he's gonna draw the the uh, the the um, the uh, juxtaposition between light and darkness. He says God is light, and in Him is no darkness at all. Right before Jesus was crucified, he said, "I gotta go to the cross, boys. Uh, the 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 hour of darkness has come." Uh, he said, "But Satan has nothing in me. He has nothing with which he can rightfully accuse me. There was nothing. Satan could not." And you know, Satan is the accuser of the brethren. He's the slanderer. He slander. He slanders. There's nothing. Satan had no foothold on Jesus. He couldn't say, oh, you know, Jesus did this or Jesus did such and such or Jesus. Jesus said he has nothing in me, nothing, not one thing, because there's no darkness within me because I'm God. I'm sinless. I'm the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. John said God is light and in him is no darkness at all. God is light, and in him there's no darkness at all. God is light. Jesus said, I'm the light of the world. Jesus said, when I leave here, the church is supposed to be the light of the world because the church is my body. So now that Jesus has gone back to the uh, glory, uh, to the right hand of the majesty on high, it is the church's responsibility to be the light of the world because Jesus is no longer with us. He's at the right hand of the majesty on high. He will return one day. We don't know when, but he will return one day. But until then, the church is supposed to be the light of the world. Now, do we um, accept that responsibility? Mm. Probably in, in many cases, yes, but in, unfortunately, in many cases, no. God is light. And in him, there's no darkness at all. You hear that? So John draw, draws stark distinctions. That's why I said to you, the Bible does contain absolutes. We live in a world where people want to be relative. There's moral relativism. Well, if it's right to you, go ahead and do it. It's your thing. You go ahead and do what you want to do. Walk in your truth. Oh, you go ahead and walk in your truth. No, that, that, that is satanic. That is unbiblical. That is unsound to tell somebody walk in their truth. Jesus said, I'm the, tr I'm the way, the truth, and the life, and nobody's coming to the Father except by me. God is light. And in him, is, there is no darkness at all. Any light, any divine light that's in you is because you know Jesus. Any divine light that's in me is because I know Jesus. There, there, there's, no, there's no divine light in me that I can claim on my own. It has to be through Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. Now notice what John is going to say here. He's going he's gonna to give us another absolute. A lot of people don't like absolutes. But the Bible, though, though not 100%, because there are gray areas in the Bible, cultural areas, etc. But, but, but the Bible is full of absolutes in both the Old and New Testaments. He says, if we say we have fellowship with him and we walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. If we say we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness... He says, if we say we have fellowship with the Lord, but we're not living a life according to the Lord's commands, 
John says we lie and do not the, and we do not practice practice the truth. See, he's drawing an absolute here. You can't say you have fellowship with the Lord, but you're walking in a, a in a life that's contrary to the will of God. You, John says you, John says you're lying. But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship with one another. And the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. That's another truth that John brings out. There's no cleansing from sin outside the blood of Jesus Christ. There's no cleansing from sin outside of the blood of Jesus Christ. Hebrews makes that point. The blood of goats and calves could not wash away sins. They could only serve as a type and a shadow of the blood of Jesus Christ that would would, would one day be shed. The, the Levitical sacrificial system was only temporary to point to the day when Jesus would uh, come and die on the cross and be the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The blood of, goat, the blood of an animal cannot save the soul of a man. Only the blood of a man, and that man had to be sinless. Not any man, that man had to be sinless. And that, that man, of course, is Jesus. So let me let me let me let me read my outline to you so far and, and I'm gonna try to see if I'm if I'm on track here. One, Jesus our Lord and Savior is eternal. We dealt with that. Two, Jesus our Lord and Savior is totally God and totally man. Man. We dealt with that. Three, Jesus our Lord and Savior is the only source of eternal life. There's no eternal life outside of Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. For God so loved the world, he gave his only begotten son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that through him the world might be saved. There is no salvation outside of Jesus Christ. That's a, that's a biblical absolute, but that's an absolute. There's no salvation, there's no eternal life outside of Jesus Christ. I cannot make you believe that, but I can still tell you there's no salvation outside of the Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. There's no salvation. You will not be saved, you will not have eternal life if you do, if you do not bow at the feet of Jesus, the Son of the living God. You're not going to do it. It's not going to happen. Don't let people fool you. The Bible says, do not be deceived. Do not be deceived. Do not be deceived. If you don't like me, the way I look or the clothes I wear, then, then that's fine. But I'm telling you, you don't have to like me, but believe the gospel. Believe the gospel. There's no salvation outside of Jesus Christ. You will not have eternal life outside of Jesus Christ. You will not. If you want to embrace another religious system, you certainly have that right. But you are signing your eternal death warrant. If you do not trust in Jesus Christ, God's dear son, for your eternal salvation. And eternity is a very long time. It never ends. So if you don't trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, your eternal soul. If you don't sit right there, stay right there. If you don't trust in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, and that is your right to, to not trust. You don't have to trust in him. If you don't, because most of the world is lost. You've got about 7 billion people in the world. And most people do not trust in Christ as their Savior. It, you, you, you don't have to. You don't have to. Jesus said that, that broad is the way that leads to destruction, and many there be that go that way. He said narrow is the way that leads to eternal life, and few there be that find that way. I am asking you. 
I am beseeching you. I am appealing to your conscience. I am appealing to your will that you trust in Jesus Christ so you can have eternal life with him. So he's our only savior. He's the bread of life. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Feast on me. Feast on me and you will live. You'll be spiritually nourished. You'll live forever. Jesus is the only way we can have the uh, true fellowship with God the Father. Did you hear what John said? John said, let me see if I can go back here. That which we have seen and heard, we declare to you that you also may have fellowship with us. We were witnesses. John was a first generation Christian, meaning he was an apostle. He saw Jesus. He was with Jesus during his ministry. He, he saw Jesus on the cross. Remember, he, he commended, Jesus commended his mother into John's hand. He said, to, he said to John, Jesus said to John when he was on the cross, behold, your mother. And, and from that day, John took Jesus into his, into his household. Uh, John took Jesus' mother, I should say, excuse me, into his household. John was a first generation Christian. He was a witness. He was an eyewitness. You, got first, you have first generation Christians, second generation Christians, third generation Christians, etc. First generation Christians are the ones who saw Jesus. Either saw him as apostles, etc. Or they were around when he rose and rose from the dead, etc. And then they heard the apostles preach and teach. Those would be first generation Christians. Then you had second generation Christians who came along later. And uh, and with each generation, you, you, you saw a cold, a coldness come upon many of the churches as the churches moved into the first, second, third, fourth, and fifth centuries, etc., into the Middle Ages, etc. A coldness, a deadness that even exists today. There's a coldness and a deadness that, that comes upon many churches because they don't really believe in the in the vitality, the life of the Holy Spirit, the life of Jesus Christ in the church. They have a form of godliness, they have religion. They have uh, rituals. They have denominational traditions. They have a form of godliness, but they don't have the power of God in their lives. John says, we want a fellowship with you because this fellowship is your only, is your only uh, access to God the Father because it's through Jesus Christ, God's dear son. So Jesus is the uh, ultimate source of, earth, source of earthly and heavenly joy. I said that it's through Jesus we draw water out of the wells of salvation. The Bible says uh, that, that, we, that we can have peace with God through our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Now, now notice what John says here in verse 8. And then I'm going to close in a few minutes. John says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. One of the biggest problems is that, is that of self-deception. If we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. Because there were those who, and there are those today who, who deny that sin exists or that they are sinners in need of salvation. There are those who say sin doesn't exist. There are those who say there's no devil. He's just a metaphor. He's just a psychological metaphor or a figment of someone's imagination, some artist's imagination. There's, there's no literal devil. And the devil wants you to believe that. He wants you to believe that he doesn't exist. Right. John says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves. He says we're lying to ourselves. John says, and the truth is not in us. John draws these absolutes here and he's drawing these absolutes because the boldness that he has has been given to him by the Holy Spirit. 
John says in verse um, in verse nine of chapter one, and here here is where we can have here is where we can rejoice. He says, if we confess our sins, he says, if we confess our sins, oh, the Lord is faithful and just. It's all gone. Put it in the garbage. If we confess our sins. Okay. If we confess our sins, the Lord is faithful and just. No matter what you've done, no matter how long you've been doing it. No matter what you've done, no matter how long you've been doing it. No matter what you've done, no matter how long you've been doing it. The Bible says the first, the first person Jesus appeared to after his resurrection was a woman named Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast seven devils. Let me say that again. The first person Jesus appeared to after his resurrection was not one of his apostles was not his mother, was not his enemies. He didn't go to his enemies and say, nah, 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 I told y'all I was going to raise. <laughs> he didn't go. He didn't go to his enemies. He didn't appear to them. He's going to deal with them later. He deals with them later in the Revelation. If you read Revelation chapter 1, it says, Behold, he comes with clouds, and every eye shall see him and those who pierced him. He's going to deal with his enemies later. The first person Jesus appeared to after his resurrection was a woman named Mary of Magdala. We call her Mary Magdalene. The Bible says he first appeared to her out of whom he had cast seven devils, meaning she was messed up. Her life was... He cast seven devils out of her. Seven is the number of completion. The woman was completely possessed by the devil. I'm, I'm, I guarantee you she was involved in some stuff that I can't even begin to imagine. Jesus cast seven devils out of her. And he first appeared to her after his resurrection. What is my point? My point is, no matter what you've done, no matter how long you've been doing it, you can't sin enough. You can't go low enough where Jesus can't lift you up. You can't. It's impossible. You, can't, you, you cannot go low enough. And the Bible says, Jesus himself said, those whom he forgives the most, those are his greatest servants. Those whom he, he, those whom he forgives the most, those are the ones who love him the most. You let the Lord save somebody who's who been in the dregs and the, you know, way down in, at the bottom of the pit, homosexuality, prostitution, drug abuse, substance abuse, child abuse, abuser or abused, you know, the whole, the whole gamut of, 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 of filth and sin. You let God save somebody like that. That, 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 that becomes his greatest apostle. They, they love him the more because he forgave more. So you can't sin. You can't do enough where Jesus won't forgive you and where Jesus can't forgive you because he said he's almighty. He says, I'm the Alpha and the Omega. I'm the beginning and the end. He says, I'm the almighty. And again, he cast those seven devils out of Mary Magdalene and he, he appeared to her first after he, he, she was the first witness. So John says, if we confess our sins, you got to confess. Don't let anybody fool you and tell you you don't have to confess your sins. You have to confess your sins before God. Jesus said himself in another passage, he said, except you repent, you shall die in your sins. Once you die in your sins, that's it. You can't get saved once you die in your sins. There's no salvation on the other side of the grave. Your salvation with your 
Your reconciliation to God has to be on this side of the grave. You cannot get saved on the other side of the grave. It's not going to happen. I know there's Catholic theology about purgatory and all that. Don't you believe that? Don't you believe that Jesus didn't say nothing about purgatory? It's a lie. <laughs> you have got to give your life to Jesus. You've got to confess your sins on this side of the grave. Once you, once you die, once the undertaker comes to get you, once the undertaker, you know, puts his hands over your eyes and closes your eyes, etc. Once the doctor says, once that hospice nurse or whatever says, that's it. That's it. Whatever decision you've made, that's the decision that shall stand for eternity. If we confess our sins, confess your sins. Lord, I'm a sinner, all defiled. Take the stain away of sin away from me and own me as your child. And then begin to walk a walk of righteousness through drawing closer to God. He knows it's going to take a while. Just like my, my grandson is just turning four. And he's, just, he's just coming into completion of being potty trained. He wasn't potty trained at a year old or two years old. It takes time. And even then, you still have your accidents and, your, and, and things like that. So the point I'm making is begin to walk the walk with the Lord. He'll walk with you. He'll talk with you. He'll be your shepherd. And he'll 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 raise you up because he knows that as a child, you're going to have to drink milk before you can eat the meat. The Lord knows that because he knows all things. If we confess our sins. If that's one of the biggest words in the Bible, if we confess our sins, if we if we would if we would swallow our foolish pride. You see, we have a will. And unless your will is bent to the will of God then is none, of, none of what I'm saying is going to do you any good. I always tell the story of going to Louisiana a year after Hurricane Katrina. Katrina was in 2005, and I went to um, Louisiana in 2006 to New Orleans to watch my former pastor become uh, consecrated as a bishop. And we were, as we, and we rode. We, we didn't fly. We rode, and as we were going through Alabama, and then we got into Mississippi, there were all these trees that were bent, and they were bent in the direction that the hurricane had turned because hurricanes rotate counterclockwise. It's got something to do with them being in the northern hemisphere and all that, a bunch of scientific stuff. But the but hurricanes rotate. If you know, if you if you ever notice a hurricane, they rotate counterclockwise. And all these trees in Mississippi were bent in the direction that the hurricane was rotating. I use that to say, let your will be bent by the Holy Spirit. Let the Holy Spirit be your hurricane. Let the Holy Spirit bend your will. The will of man is his, often his biggest enemy. Jesus in the Garden of Gethsemane, Lord, I don't want to drink this cup. I don't want to drink this cup. Father, take this cup away from me. But nevertheless, not as I will. But I submit my will totally to you, Lord, O oh Father. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. And see, our problem is we want to build our own kingdom. <laughs> the kingdom of, and then put your name there. No. Bend your will to the will of God. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins. 
and to cleanse us, to cleanse us. Do you hear that? We need to be cleansed. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness, all unrighteousness, all unrighteousness. No matter what you've done, no matter how long you've been doing it, you, you no longer need to bear the, the, the shame and the guilt. But there does need to be repentance. You have to repent for your sins. You have to repent. If you had abortion or abortions and you've never dealt with that, maybe you had abortions before they became legal. Maybe you had the, what they call the coat hanger abortions. You've got to take that sin before God. If you've committed you know, the, a myriad of other sins or whatever, you've got to take that sin before God. You got to go before God and say, Lord, forgive me. Wash me in the blood of your dear son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. The Bible says he's faithful and he's just. Listen to what it says. To cleanse us from all unrighteousness. He sits uh, in the Old Testament in the tabernacle. There was uh, the Ark of the Covenant um, was inside the the Ten Commandments were inside, the, the tablets were inside the Ark of the Covenant. But on top of the Ark of the Covenant was the mercy seat. And the mercy seat was sprinkled with the blood of an, of a, of an animal. That typified the fact that Jesus Christ is, is our mercy seat. When they, when they brought the woman taken in adultery to Jesus and they said, Moses said in the law that, that this woman should be stoned. And they were right. The woman, according to the law of Moses, was supposed to be stoned. Their problem was they didn't bring the man. And the last I checked, it takes more than one person to commit adultery. So they said, Moses in the law said that such should be stoned. What do you say? And they were just trying to trap Jesus. They didn't care about the woman. They didn't care about the law of Moses. They were trying to trap Jesus by pitting him against the law of Moses. But Jesus, instead of saying, okay, we'll take her out and stone her, he sat on the mercy seat. Glory to the Lamb of God. He said, the Son of Man has power on earth to forgive sin. And they hated him for that. But he sat on the mercy seat. And then he would eventually epitomize the mercy seat by shedding his blood on the cross because the blood would be sprinkled in the, in the Old Testament, in the Ark of the Covenant. The blood would be sprinkled on the mercy seat. Jesus sat in the mercy seat when he said, he who is without sin among you, let him first cast a stone at her. And they all shamefacedly left from the oldest until the youngest. And Jesus was left alone with the woman. He said, where, where are your accusers? Uh, where where they go? She said, I don't know where they are, Lord. Has any man accused you? And she said, no. And Jesus said, neither do I accuse you. But notice what he didn't say. He didn't say, go out and go ahead and commit adultery again. Don't worry about it. Walk in your truth. He said, go and sin no more. Meaning, you now, you, now I've forgiven you. I could have told them to, to, to take you and stone you according to the law of Moses. But I knew they were just trying to run the okey-doke. They, they, they didn't care about you or the law of Moses. They were trying to trap me, Jesus was saying. They were, they were just trying to trap me. And I knew that. But I sat in the mercy seat and I forgave you. And now your responsibility is to go and sin no more. Meaning, go and walk in the newness of life. L let me close here. He is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. But he warns here against self-righteousness. He says, if we say we have not sinned, 
we call God a liar. But for the Bible says all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. The Bible says in Romans 5 and 12, by one man, Adam, sin has entered into the world and death by sin. And so death passed upon all men for all have sinned. John says, if we say we have not sinned, we're calling God a liar. Because God says we have sinned. That's why he sent his son, Jesus, to be the propitiation, which is just a big word for the satisfaction. When Jesus died on, his cross, on the cross, God was satisfied that the sin issue was settled. That's why John called Jesus the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. When Jesus died on the cross, the Bible says he was wounded for our transgressions and bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement that he had to endure was for our peace. And by his stripes that he took, we are healed from the ravages of sin. So Jesus is the propitiation or the satisfaction. When in the days of the Roman Empire, when somebody paid a debt, there was a stamp. To tell us die. Debt paid. Glory to God. When Jesus died on the cross, the Father said, to tell us die, debt paid. The sin debt has been paid. The songwriter said, Jesus paid it all. Hallelujah. All to him we owe. Sin had left a crimson stain. He has washed it white as snow. If we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar. And his word is not in us. We've all sinned. We were born in sin. Some people sin grievous sins. People become murderers and mass murderers and rapists. Some people sin grievous sins. But we've all we were born that cute little baby that you that you had or have. That baby was born in sin. We were all born in sin, shaped in iniquity. It's just some people manifested in different ways. We've all sinned. We've all sinned. Don't let self righteousness deceive you. We've all sinned. We've all sinned. We've all sinned. I don't care where you live. I don't care if you live in the worst neighborhood in your city or in the best neighborhood. We've all sinned. We've all sinned. We've all sinned. And Jesus died on the cross to forgive us for our, from, our, from our sins. Let me read this outline to you and then I'm going to close. Here's my outline that I hope I covered. I just covered 1 John chapter 1. So Sunday we'll cover 1 John chapter 2. Number one, Jesus, our Lord and Savior, is eternal. Number two, Jesus, our Lord and Savior, is totally God and totally man. Number three, Jesus, our Lord and Savior, is the only source of eternal life. Number four, Jesus is the only way we can have true fellowship with God the Father. Number five, Jesus is the ultimate source of earthly and heavenly joy. Number six, Jesus is the light of the world. But now that he's gone back to, to the right hand of the Father, the church is supposed to be the, the light of the world because we are the body of Christ. So the Bible says we're supposed to be um, living epistles. When people see us, what do they read? Do they read Ephesians or um, Valley of the Dolls? <laughs> if, you, if you're under 50, that won't make any sense to you. Valley of the Dolls was a book written by a woman years ago. The only book I ever saw my mother read, Valley of the Dolls, about these women who were up on pills. And Sharon Tate was in the movie. Uh, Jacqueline Suzanne, I think, wrote it, something like that. But anyway, when people read us, what do they see? Do they see um, uh, Romans or do they see uh, another book? Yeah. 
Jesus is the light of the world through the church. Those who walk in darkness cannot claim to have fellowship with God. John says it ain't, uh-uh. John says, don't let the Ku Klux Klan fool you. They're walking in darkness. You can't, you can't lynch somebody and then claim you're walking with Jesus. You're in darkness. John says you're lying and the truth is not in you. Only the blood of Jesus Christ cleanses us from sin. Number nine, anyone who claims to have never sinned is a liar, for all have sinned and come short of God's glory. Number 10, the denial of a literal devil in original sin as well as currently existing sin is a satanic lie meant to continually deceive the world. I may touch on John. I may touch on chapter one a little bit more on Sunday. Number 11, Jesus is faithful and just to forgive our every sin, but we must sincerely repent and turn away from them. This involves both the direction of the Holy Spirit. Remember, I talked about the trees that were bent in Mississippi. They were bent in the direction of the hurricane, which turns counterclockwise. Well, let the Holy Spirit be your hurricane. Let him bend your will. It's not easy because we, we want what we want. It's not easy to submit our will to God. I'm not going to sit here and tell you it's easy. It's not. Jesus, in the Garden of Gethsemane, said, I don't want to do this. I don't want to go to this cross. These people spitting all over me and slapping me. I'm the son of God. I'm the BMOC. I'm the big man on campus. I don't want to go to the cross. People spitting all over me and slapping me and buffeting me and mocking me and telling me to prophesy as though I'm some jackleg, bootleg preacher. I don't want to do it. Nevertheless, not as I will, Father. Not my will, but your will be done. And, then la and the last one, traditions that exist outside of God's word deceive us into thinking we're in covenant with God when we really aren't. Uh, I want to bring up the point here about uh, the guy who just dropped out of the presidential race, Pete Buttigieg. He says he's a believer, but he's married to another man. If you ask him, and I've heard him say this, if you ask him um, to justify that, he'll say, my faith tradition, my faith tradition, my faith tradition. He doesn't say Romans said, or Ephesians said, or 2 Corinthians said, or Revelation said, or 2 Timothy said, or Titus said, or Mark said, because he can't justify his lifestyle by scripture. So when people want to live outside of the will of God, but claim to be walking with God in Christ, they'll, they'll, they'll appeal to tradition. And not all traditions are bad, but any traditions that are outside of the word of God are wrong. So when you talk to Brother Pete, Mayor Pete, and say, um, you, you say you're a believer, but you married to another man. I saw y'all kissing on stage at the at the... Democratic um, um, debate. Uh, can you can you can you back that up with scripture? He'll say my faith tradition. I, I think he's either a Presbyterian or a Episcopalian. I can't remember. He says my faith tradition. And when your tradition is outside of the Word of God, you're you're 
you're you're saying that what you want to do is above the word of God. Jesus big Jesus biggest critics and enemies were not the pimps, the prostitutes, the gangbangers, the drug dealers, the sorcerers, the gamblers. Jesus biggest enemies were within organized religion who who depended on their own traditions. They had created their own tradition and had replaced God's word, in, in this case, the Old Testament, the Jewish Bible. They had replaced the teachings of Moses and the prophets and the Psalms, the writings. They had replaced those with their own tradition. What's called the Mishnah. Jesus said, Jesus said, well, did Isaiah prophesy of you hypocrites? You claim that you love God. With your mouth, you, you claim you love God. But your fear of God is based on the traditions of men. So traditions that exist outside of God's word deceive us into thinking we're in covenant with God when we really are not. My faith tradition. What you're doing in essence, and then I'll close, what you're doing in essence is you're walking in your truth not the truth of the gospel. When you say my faith tradition says I can be I could be a man and I'm married to another man, or I can be a woman and I'm married to another woman. My faith tradition says I can do that because my denomination said it's okay. But you can't if you can't justify it by scripture, it's problematic. Father, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, I pray, Lord, that I spoke the truth of the gospel to your people. And I pray that you'll bless them in every way possible. I pray that they will have an ear to hear what the Holy Spirit is saying to the churches, Lord. I pray, Lord, that they will not be careless hearers and that they will not allow the devil to take the word that was sown in their hearts off of their hearts. I pray that you will bless them and move in their lives in every way possible. By your Holy Son, Jesus, bless them with every need they have in their families and their lives. And bless them in their relationships, Lord. It's move in a supernatural way. Touch them, Lord God. Give them that hunger. Give them that hunger that they, that they need, Lord, to draw closer and closer unto you through your Holy Son, Jesus Christ. I pray that First John and the, and the totality of your word would, would become a burning reality in their lives by Jesus Christ, Lord. Please forgive us for our sins, Lord. Help us to say no to sin and yes to righteousness, which is in your dear Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior. I pray that as a result of this preaching and teaching and preaching and teaching all over the world, I pray, I pray that there will be fruit and gifts of the Holy Spirit that will be manifested, Lord, by Jesus Christ, your Holy Son, Lord. Glory, power, majesty, dominion, eternal kingdom forever and ever and forever and ever and forever and ever. Do you want to come? You want to come and say amen and close, the, and close us out in prayer? Come on, hurry up, hurry up, hurry up. I pray that you just bless your people in a. I I pray that you bless your people in a great way. Amen. By Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, we pray. Say Amen. Amen. Say Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Say Jesus is Lord. Jesus is Lord. God bless you. See you Sunday morning if you're not already obligated somewhere else. We're going to continue. I'll just summarize John, First John chapter one, very quickly, and then I'll go into First John chapter two. It's a fascinating epistle. It's probably sorely neglected. Read the first epistle of John. Read it prayerfully. 
you'll never be the same. God that's bless from, you, my beloved. Take care. Um, mm -hmm. That's from um, Bendy the Maker scene. Mm -hmm. Press. Thank you. You want me to press this blue button? Mm -hmm. No, you're good. Oh, yeah, that was good. Yeah, press that blue button. Okay. Thank you. You're a good boy. You did a great job. Oh, what is that? Who is that? Like I don't know who that 